Now, but as I said, the Lord is, is obviously already at work, and we can see from, from worshiping together that the Lord is moving, the Lord is already doing a work in many of your hearts and speaking clearly, and so what I want to say to that is don't get distracted, uh, let's just open our ears and eyes to his word, and I just want to be a conduit for that, for that to happen. Last week, or sorry, two weeks ago, Steve began a current preaching series uh, through the book of Exodus, and it's called Into His Glory, the story of Exodus. And Steve started us out with a great encouragement. It was an encouragement uh, that, that really rings true whenever we open a preaching series, and that is not to just see preaching through the book of the Bible or studying a certain thing as a standalone, once-off, kind of isolated island of a thing. He said, no, we need to see this in the context of what God has continually been speaking to church in the city. And God has continually been speaking to church in the city. Amen? Amen. And so today, I just want to start with that same encouragement. God has been speaking to us very clearly about partnering with him to prepare to be fruitful, about prioritizing what Jesus prioritizes, and that is the lost as he builds his church and advances his kingdom. And God has been saying things very clearly to us about what it means to continue the supernatural ministry of Jesus, that you and I are actually intended, actually intended to continue in full authority and full power from the person of Jesus Christ himself, fully God, all that, as Acts 1 says, Jesus began to do and teach. So just because we're going to jump back thousands of years and thousands of pages back to the Old Testament doesn't mean we need to put that stuff to the side. In fact, we know God's heart and character has never altered and never changed. So actually, in, instead of putting those things that God has said to the side, we instead need to bring them to allow for God to continue speaking through that perspective, through what he's saying, into what he has said in the book of Exodus. Who says studying the Bible is boring? (laughs) So turn in your Bibles to Exodus 2. We're going to jump back there. And Steve, two weeks ago, encouraged us at the start of this series uh, to live by faith. And he did a great job by opening up Exodus 1 in the first half of Exodus chapter 2, showing all sorts of examples of faith that is happening in the top part of Exodus And he encouraged us, Steve did, to not only remember who God is, but to see what God is doing, to stand in what we know God has said, to give thanks always, and then to be expectant. And that's where we've left ourselves with those encouragements as we're going to pick up the story of Exodus. And remember that the story of Exodus is really kind of a concurrent double set of stories. On the one hand, it is the story of God's delivering of his people Israel out of Egypt, but doesn't just stop there, takes them into a promised land, progressively further revealing himself to them, his character, his power, his protection, his commands. He's introducing himself again to his people. But before God can do that, his people are literally, physically, and spiritually in bondage in Egypt, and God must raise up a deliverer. So before the story of Exodus can be the story of God's people being delivered, it first has to be the story of God raising up a deliverer, and that is Moses. And gosh, that kind of sounds familiar about you and I being the church, and before we can be deliverers, God must send a deliverer to deliver us. So all of a sudden, we're not just in the old and distant Old Testament. 
were very presently in God's present day heart for the lost, the captive, those in bondage. It's always been God's heart to raise up a deliverer. So what we're going to do today, actually, I hope this is okay with you, because I'm going to try to hustle because we're going to celebrate communion together, is we're going to actually read a ton of scripture. We're going to read a ton of scripture, and here's why. First of all, because scripture is great. Second of all, is because every time that I sat down and tried to think of my clever, great things to say, God was really hammering home to my heart, James, why don't you just let my word do the heavy lifting? You see, Exodus is a narrative book. It's a story. It's an account. Not, a, not story as in fiction. Story as, as in an account. So that means that everything that makes it into this book inspired of the Holy Spirit is crucial for us to understand. It plays a crucial part in the building of what God is doing. And the reason why we're going to spend so much time reading verses behind me today is because these events in Moses' life that we're going to look at reveal part of how God has intended him, and it speaks to how God has intended you and me. So we can't gloss over events in Moses' life. And you, you do this in your own life, too. You probably have some times, dates, happenings that you can remember that uh, might have seemed insignificant at the time that, looking back, are now crucial to who you are, where you are, what God is doing through you. I'll give you two quick in my life. Uh, this week, 15 years ago, in 2001, I walked out of a theater department, that's right, meeting at my university in West Palm Beach, Florida. I was, I had been there a week, and I was a theater major, um, and I walked out of a meeting, and this woman, this girl, called out and said, hey, are you James? Because she had a friend who had already been at the school who was from my hometown and said, hey, you, you guys should get to know each other. You're both theater people, and Theater people should get to know each other. And I turned around and I said, yeah, yeah, I'm James. Hi, nice to meet you. And, and she said, oh, cool, nice to meet you. I'm Jesse. And I married her right there. <laughs> if I had been smart. <laughs> Sometime when you got like six hours, Jess can tell you the story. It's a significant moment at the time, kind of seeming like something you could gloss over but a significant moment nonetheless. And, and, and another one in my life was 10 years ago this coming November. I was borderline depressed. I was living in Chicago alone. I had been a big shot down at my university and now I was living in a studio in Lincoln Park the size of this podium for way too much money a month. It was cold. I was alone. I was doing graduate work at DePaul. It was tough. It was oppressive almost and I didn't have a church And I ran across the street from DePaul to a coffee shop. How many of you know how much I don't like coffee? Okay, so the irony of this hopefully is not lost on you. Because I had to get off book for a scene. I had to memorize a bunch of stuff really quickly, and I was behind it. And so I ordered some strawberry organic chia seed smoothie whatever thing. And I sat down, and I got off book for the scene, and I was late to class. I was walking out the door. And as I walked out the door, you know how coffee shops have those uh, community boards things? I walked out, and I I just caught my eye, this flyer for a church that was meeting in Lincoln Park at the time, at night. And it was this church called Church in the City. And I was like, well, I've got nights free. I don't have days free, but I've got nights free, so I'll go try this church. And I walked in that Sunday, and nine-year-old Rebecca Sudworth 
uh, who's, she's a sophomore in college now in Boston, uh, I started signing the visitor's log, but it was the visitor's log for the Baptist church that met there in the morning. So the first words anyone ever said to me at church in the city was, um, that's the wrong log to sign. And I knew I was home. And this November will be 10 years for me that God has faithfully given me a church home here at Church in the City. Yeah, that's good. Some of you are clapping and some of you are like, what is the sovereign Lord doing? (laughs) Steve is one of those people. (laughs) All that to say, significant events we're going to look at because they're beginning to craft Moses, shape Moses, reveal what God has intended for Moses. And as we look at Moses, I encourage you, I implore you, be having this question churn about your own life too, okay? So let's open to Exodus chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 11. Uh, Just to recap to this point really quickly, we know that in the end of Genesis that the people of Israel who numbered 70 at the time, there weren't a numerous people yet, were there. Joseph, Jacob, all all his sons, Joseph's brothers are there, and it ends on a really great time. For the, for the people, the, the few dozen people of Israel, because Joseph had so much favor in Egypt. And so Genesis ends, and you're just like, man, they just are in a good spot. And Exodus begins, and it's like, what happened? <laughs> because Joseph and that generation and, the, and Pharaoh who knew Joseph, and those, that generation died. And the Israelites grew numerous. And the new Pharaoh said, this is not a good situation because the Israelites are so numerous that if we go to war, they're going to join our enemies and try to overthrow us. So the solution is, let's enslave them and and have them do our labor for us. And that's exactly what happened. It's not a good time for the people of Israel in Egypt. And Moses, as Steve mentioned two weeks ago, is born into this situation. And already we've seen so many people around Moses, before Moses could even walk, before he could even talk, really before he was even conceived, people making audacious, bold, faith-obedient choices to God. The Hebrew midwives, when Pharaoh says, kill all the baby boy Hebrews, and the Hebrew midwives say, no, thank you, we're not going to do that. And they deceive Pharaoh, and God blesses them. Moses' parents themselves choosing to conceive and have a child in the midst of that. That's an act of faith. Moses' mother concealing Moses and hiding him until she can't anymore. And then she sets him afloat on the Nile in faith, trusting God for his life because she can't conceal him anymore. And God guides Moses to the very palace of Pharaoh on the Nile. And Pharaoh's daughter sees him in in the basket of reeds crying like a baby. And who... Who would be looking around the corner but Moses' older sister? And Moses' sister, in faith, jumps on the situation and says, Hey, uh, you know, I happen to know some Hebrew ladies who could nurse the, you know, baby, and that's cool. And Pharaoh's daughter says, Oh, what a great idea. And Moses' sister gives Moses back to his mother, and Moses' mother is paid by Pharaoh to raise her young son, and God, as Steve brought up, in his infinite, wonderful irony, I am all-powerful, none of your choices can derail me-ness, has Pharaoh paying for Moses to be raised to one day deliver his people. Already, Moses is in the midst of a lot of faith-obedient choices happening. He also exists in the tension of being Hebrew and Egyptian, So let's pick it up in verse 11. I've gone way longer in this introduction than I thought I would. Verse 11 says, One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, 
and watched them at their hard labor, went out to where his own people were, speaks to who Moses was identifying with. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. And when the girls returned to rule, which is a name for priest in Midian, when the girls returned to rule their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? They answered, an Egyptian, interesting how they perceive Moses, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he, Rule asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to come have something to eat. And Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, verse 23, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. You see why details are included. What I want to point out to you is two key things that happen in the life of Moses, two key events. We're going to ask the question of what they reveal. The first is when Moses sees this Egyptian beating and slave driving this Hebrew. And Moses identifies with the Hebrew there. And he steps into the situation, albeit with a wrong way. Looking this way and that, committing murder and hiding the body. But Moses steps in. And as a result of that, Moses has to flee to Midian. And when Moses gets to Midian, he's sitting by the well and he sees women drawing water from the well and shepherds come and oppress them and kick them away from the well. And what does Moses do? He engages, drives the shepherds away, brings the women back to the well, draws the water for them and waters their flock. Here's why these two instances are important. Moses is already a deliverer. Moses is already a deliverer. God has already intentionally crafted Moses to resonate with deliverance. It's not a spur-of-the-moment idea on God's part. Many people would see that Egyptian, the one in power, oppressing the one who has no power, and they would go away the other direction. Why? Because there's risk. But Moses, who grew up in Pharaoh's house, who has power there, still engages the situation. Again, I know, with the wrong way and with the wrong result. But Moses, something in him is crafted to be a deliverer. God has intentionally crafted him. God has intentionally shaped Moses to resonate with certain 
things that God has put in him. Psalm 139 teaches us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. It says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And I think so often we attribute that rightfully to our physical makeup. And so much of that psalm does speak to our physical makeup. But God makes you up who you are as well. There's a myriad of different passions across this room. A myriad of different things that we resonate with. And that's intentional on God's part. There's a crafting there. And we see Moses, even when he is somewhat adrift, even when he is somewhat purposeless, or even running at certain points a fugitive, we still see Moses acting in the way that God has crafted him to be. You okay? I know I talked fast and loud. You good? Moses is crafted in a certain way. And where this ends is Moses being established in a foreign land for years upon years upon years. He takes a wife. He starts a family. He has a son. He, he establishes relationship in Midian, which is in present-day eastern Saudi Arabia, western Saudi Arabia. This is a long way away from Egypt. And he gets established there. But he's still, a, he's still a deliverer. And this is why at the end of this chapter, I'm sure the Lord inspires that he just reminds us that during that long period, this Pharaoh died and the cry of the, the Israelites still goes up to God. It's as if God gives us this wonderful montage-esque plateau of like in Midian, there's this deliverer sitting dormant, crafted intentionally but dormant. And in Egypt... There is a people in desperate need of deliverance. And just the act of raising up Moses, just the act of crafting Moses to be who he is, is an act of faithfulness on the part of God to his enslaved people. And some of you today are sitting in things that you feel completely captivated in. You feel completely and utterly closed in, oppressed, slave-driven in. And you cannot see what God is raising up in Midian. But God is raising up an intentionally crafted deliverer. I'm not saying that's another person. I'm just saying God is faithfully crafting your deliverance. So we've got this sort of dual story plateau going here. Let's pick it up at the top of verse 3. Very, very famous, well-known piece of scripture here. And I just want to say in very famous, well-known pieces of scripture, we tend to kind of back off and not engage it and kind of stand back a little bit and not touch it. I want to say forget that. I know we've all heard of what's about to happen, most of us, but let's read it because God intends us to grow and learn from it. Happiness? Cool. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. That's Rule's name. Rule is a name like Pharaoh. So when the girls say Rule is their father, he's priest of Midian. That's Rule. His name is Jethro. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. And then the most obvious verse in all of scripture. Okay, whenever I feel like I don't understand scripture, I go right back to this verse and I get it. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? I'm like, gotcha, I'm back. I'm recentered. Scripturally, I get what's going on. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, before we read verse 7, I want you to remember how God has made Moses. And in light of how God has made Moses, I want you to listen to what God is about to say to Moses. The Lord God said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, (laughs) go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. There is so much to look at here, and we're going to do it quickly. You see, because God has crafted Moses the way that he has, with that deliverer resonance within him, can't you see kind of what God is doing a little bit there? He's like, yeah, hey, you know, I've, I've heard the cry of my people. Gonna deliver them. You, that interests you at all? This, yep, gonna save them. It's gonna happen. Gonna do it. Gonna take them to a promised land. <laughs> totally out of Egypt, the other direction. Can you imagine what's welling up in Moses at that moment? Can you imagine what is welling up in Moses at that moment? Because Moses is a deliverer. Moses is a deliverer. He's been crafted that way. And so what Moses begins to experience here, I would submit to you, aside from the amazing introduction, reintroduction to the God of his forefathers in a burning bush, the physical, literal presence of God right before him. I mean, that's amazing in and of its own right and just not where we can camp out today, even though I'd love to. What Moses is experiencing in this moment is what I would submit to you is a call. It's a calling. And I think Moses experiences that calling even before God says, so now, go. And here's why. Because God doesn't essentially call us to a task. God calls us to himself. Here's why. Because of how God has crafted Moses. As Moses draws near to God, the character of God begins to resonate with Moses as to what God has intended him to be passionate about. Does that make sense? So as God is a deliverer, as Moses is a deliverer intentionally crafted by God, and God draws Moses near, and Moses himself draws near, and we know from James 4 that that is God's operation with us. Draw near to me, I will draw near to you. As Moses draws near, and God draws near, God begins to draw out of Moses the desire to be a deliverer. That's calling. That's calling. Because calling is dependent upon our proximity to God. It's not dependent upon talent or how much time you've written in your journal and figured something out that you want to do someday because we're all at different points of that. Calling is our proximity to God because in our proximity to God, God will draw out how he's intentionally crafted us. So God's doing that to Moses before he even says to Moses that you're going to be the one (laughs) And then God says, 
after he's whispered and drawn him near, shown him who he is. I am the God of your fathers. I'm gonna do this. Go. That's how God calls. Moses is intentionally crafted. God calls him by drawing him not to a task, but to himself. And let's pick up Moses' response because we're about to have a little argument. In verse 11 of chapter three, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this is the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Can I just say that's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture? It's basically God saying, so here's how you know that what I'm saying is true, that when you see what I'm saying is true, you'll come and worship me. (laughs) Talk amongst yourselves. (laughs) And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is the remember that Steve was talking about two weeks ago has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Here's what's rubbing raw here. Because if what I've said to this point is true, that God has crafted Moses intentionally to be a deliverer, God has wooed Moses to himself in calling and putting him near the resonating with deliverance because God is a deliverer and God's character is drawing that out of Moses, Moses should turn around and say, let's do it. Let's go. That's not what Moses says. Here's why. You see, when Moses sees that Egyptian oppressing the Hebrew... Moses takes a look at that situation and and in his own flesh and in the moment says, I can handle that. I can handle that. I'm engaging. And when Moses sees the shepherds oppressing, oppressing the Midianite women at the well, Moses says, I can handle this. I'm going in. When God says, go to Pharaoh and say to let my people go, we're all of a sudden envisioned for something that is a little bit beyond the bounds of Moses' capability. Are we not? You see, just because God crafts us, just because he calls us through intimacy with himself, does not mean that he is sending us into something that we can just flat handle. Stop it with that thinking. Can I just say... One of the things that I think I I, I struggle with, and I think if we're not careful, we can struggle with, because as a church and and, and other churches like ours who are very cognizant of of the power of Christ and of of the filling of the Holy Spirit and the authority that we walk in, if we are not careful, if we're not careful, we can walk around a little bit with our six shooters on, and we can say, I can handle because I'm crafted and called. Wait a minute. God is calling you to something and sending you into something very intentionally that is way incredibly, unbelievably, impossibly beyond your capability. And it doesn't matter how much it resonates with you. And I know right now the Lord is bringing things up in your heart. Yeah, that thing, (laughs) that impossible thing. 
And no matter how much it resonates to you, you have Moses' response. Who, who am I? I? I dig what you're saying, God. <laughs> I'm a deliverer. I dig it. But who am I? And here's the question that Moses asks. It's a very good question. It's the perfect question, if I do say so myself. He says, if I go to Israel, suppose they ask, who has sent me? And what God does next is he takes Moses just from being crafted and being called by proximity to God. And he takes him to the place of being commissioned. The difference between a calling and a commission is a commission comes with the fullness of the authority of the name of whoever has sent you. That's why Moses wants to know who's sending him. Because he knows that's going to be the question. And God has no problem giving him the answer. You tell them, I am that I am sent you. I'm the God of their forefathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so Moses, that is who is with you. That is who is sending you. That is in whose name and authority you go. This is why when Jesus gives what we know as the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, he doesn't just say, go into all the world, make disciples, uh, preach you know, to, to, to all the world, make disciples, teaching them as I, as I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That would be a great call. But here's where it becomes commission, where Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I'm with you to the very end of the age. That's commission. That's carrying who sent you. So we have Moses intentionally crafted as a deliverer. We have God calling him not to a task, but drawing him to himself. And what, what God crafts in Moses just resonates. It naturally resonates. And then God sends him to something that is so impossibly bigger than Moses could ever accomplish. And God says, you're exactly right. You need my commission. And I am who I am. And I'm gonna do it. And God goes from there. And begins to build upon. See, when God gives a commission, when God, speaks, uh, when God speaks a commission and we carry his name into this impossibility, God himself begins to prophetically declare over us what he will do. God himself begins to do that. He builds upon this commission. And that's exactly what God does with Moses. Let's pick it up in verse 16. Last big chunk of scripture. Last big chunk of scripture. You ready? God says, go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt and into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then listen to what God says. God says what will happen. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know, God says, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that... He will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards his people, towards your people. 
so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. God is just showing off now. Moses, we started this conversation with your people in slavery in Egypt, and we're ending it with them literally walking out with a king's ransom. That is what I am telling you will happen. Because here's the key thing about being commissioned. When God takes us from being crafted and called and commissioned, he begins to speak his commands. And as we obey those commands and as we say yes, that's when we really see fruit. And that's when God brings us into what he has for us, also known as in churchy terms, an inheritance. And God is saying to Moses, your inheritance is, as a deliverer, you will take this people out of Egypt. So what does this mean for us? Well, I think it means that God made us like he made Moses. Intentionally crafted, called not to a task, but to him. And commissioned carrying the name of the one who sent us. And just as a side note, I know that all three of those things start with the letter C, which Steve and I have a running joke about how I hate when things do that, and he loves when things do that. But I couldn't help it today. (laughs) Called, crafted, commissioned. Cool? Sorry. In a moment, we'll enjoy communion, which also starts with this. Listen. The Lord is, the Lord even right now, is reminding hearts, again, in this room. And what I want to say to you is, please, don't fight that. It's not a linear progression of, like, you're not great if you haven't, if you're not at the commit. Stop it. Understand. Ask the Lord, how has God crafted you? What are your passions? What do you see and instantly resonates with you, and you can't fight it if you wanted to? Now, how is that activated? It's activated in proximity to God because it's his character that's going to make it resonate anyway. And when that's happening, you ask the Lord, what are, you, what, are you, what are you sending me into? It's impossible. I must carry your presence with me. I must carry your presence with me. And what you say, Lord, I will do. And next week, Steve is going to unpack in Exodus 4 a little more of this push and pull between God and Moses, where God continues to teach Moses that what I say, you must do. So we'll leave that to next week. In a moment, we're going to celebrate communion together. And I don't want communion to feel forced, like we have to celebrate communion. No, we get to celebrate communion because Jesus commanded it and it reminds us of him. But here's, here's the thing. All of this crafting, all of this calling, all of this commissioning speaks so much of an inviting God. Does it not? Speaks so much to an audacious, inviting God who could do things, who could accomplish his purpose, who could literally make everything the way he wants it to be completely separate from us. But that's just not his heart to not partner with us and to not bring us into sharing that with him. So in a moment, we'll, take, we'll share in, in communion together as a reminder that God so desires to be with us that he became us to come down, live amongst us as Jesus Christ, revealing God the Father, and then said, 
here's a new covenant. Here's a new covenant. Your life is in me, in God. So maybe you're at the place today where you're asking the question of how God has crafted you. And that's a great question to be asking. You're not behind. Ask. Maybe you're at the place where you're like, God, I have all these passions, but I feel like I link them to everything except for you. The gospel's nowhere in it. I'm influenced every which way. And God says, draw near to me. Draw near to me. Because what's in my character will resonate with what I've put in you. And some of you are at the place where you go, God, I know what you've said to me and you can forget it. (laughs) You can forget it. And God says, I am that I am. You have the same question Moses did. All of Moses' doubts, all of his questions circle the drain of one thing, and that is, God, who am I? And all of God's answers proclaim one thing, Moses, I am. So wherever, maybe you're at all three of those places on different things, but can we celebrate communion together as an act that says, Lord, you are an inviting God, and I draw near to you. I draw near to you. Nancy's going to play for us, and I just want to just invite you to just make two lines, come down, uh, grab some bread and the cup, and go back and just take it in your own time. Take it in your own time as an accepting of an invitation to draw near to God.